Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast inspired by the Puritan practice of godly conference, or spiritual conversations among believers. These spiritual conversations offer practical spiritual help for Christian living. Welcome to Ordinary Fellowship. I'm Jeremy Lee, and with me is my friend and co-host, Matthew McLaughlin. Hey, Jeremy. We're glad to be back after an unplanned hiatus. Uh, uh, there were health issues for me and in my family, so Matthew is perfectly fine. He doesn't want to do it without me, I guess. So this is true. I don't want him to do it, do the podcast without me either, because God only knows what you might say. This is this is possible. <laughs> you get a whole episode on the evils of the Marvel universe. No, <laughs> definitely not going to let you do it on your own. So we've been doing a series, if you've been listening, doing a series called The Secular Creed. It's based on Rebecca McLaughlin's book of the same title. We're addressing issues that are current in our culture right now. We call it a secular creed. She calls it a secular creed uh, because you'll see something like this sign maybe somewhere in your neighborhood. Maybe your neighbors have one up that says, In this house we believe that black lives matter, love is love, women's rights are human rights, we're all immigrants, and diversity makes us stronger. Now, there's several variations of the sign, so we're, we're going to talk about a few extra that aren't on uh, in Rebecca McLaughlin's book. And today, even though it's not listed on that sign, <laughs> it is included in her book, uh, but the saying that we're going going to discuss today is trans women are women. This is a difficult topic because for many reasons, one is, chief is we want to be sensitive to people who are really struggling with this. Uh, we don't want to be, we don't want to bully or um, mistreat someone or mer- mischaracterize the struggles they're going through or treat it lightly as if it's not a big deal, or worse, treat them like they're gross. We want to be sensitive to that, but that at the same time, we feel the need as Christians, we feel compelled to disagree with this statement. Now, some of the statements that we've gone through, we've said, yes, we, we've had to uh, disagree slightly or qualify our agreements with the slogans. This one, we can pretty much outright reject. So let's talk about why. So as we've done before, we start out talking about the statement and then go to some biblical teaching on it. Uh, The statement, trans women are women, is expanding what it means to be a woman or what it has traditionally been understood as a woman to include biological males who identify as women. And so What's happening in our our culture has accepted this is that biological sex is one thing. Your chromosomes and your reproductive organs are one thing, but they don't determine everything about what it means to be a man or a woman. And then we we talk about gender, and gender is gender describes our internal understanding and experience of our own gender identity. And the idea is that the biology is obviously a given, but it can be changed, supposedly. But 
gender is a is completely a cultural construct. It really ultimately is how you perceive yourself, how you identify inwardly, uh, rather than what you present um, outwardly. Those who hold to this view suggest that there's a difference between sex and gender. That is not entirely false. There are plenty of gender stereotypes that aren't helpful um, or negative uh, that do come from our culture. Uh, but it seems to, the dim- issue is, of course, then it seems to diminish any differences in gender as if men and women are uh, interchangeable. And, uh, of course, we don't believe that's the case. Any Anything to add to that brief overview? Trying to really present the view that would accept this statement. Right. I'm, very briefly. <laughs> right. To add anything briefly, I guess the one thought is there's a difference between people who legitimately suffer from gender dysphoria and then people who self-diagnose themselves as transgender. And so I think that's one of the differentiations we have to understand. So people who hold to this view would hold to the idea that it's not based upon any external series of facts but rather it's based upon an internal feeling so it's it's very much a feeling driven thing and since i feel and so most people who hold to this look at sex and gender specifically gender and they see gender on a spectrum now well, the other piece i'll add that i think jeremy brought up that i think we have to do a better job thinking through is that we stereotype too much and so what ultimately what's happening is we're placing gender in small confined boxes and anything and because people don't feel like they fit inside the small confined boxes well then I must be something else. Yeah. And so that's fun and so one of the things we need to do just as a culture not even from a biblical standpoint although I would argue that biblically it applies too is as culture we need to expand the boxes and understand that the stereotypes in and of themselves though there might be a majority way that we define a man or a woman but the majority doesn't mean there, that that's that's it right or there may be a typical right or typical might be a better word yeah yeah carl truman's book you can get the hard version or the easy version i've not read the easy version so i don't know if it's really any easier <laughs> it's shorter we'll put it that it's way it's shorter okay so one of the things that's going on here is the idea that the internal understanding is trumping the outward understanding. This is a new understanding, not just with transgenderism, but with humanity in, in general with lots of things. Um, the example I give my kids when we talk about this is it used to be, I'm not talking not talking 20 years ago or 50 years ago, but hundreds of years ago, where if a father did something for a living, the son also did that for a living. It was a given that the father, one of the responsibilities of being a father was to give the child a trade so that he would be able to make, be able to make a living at this trade. So if you were a blacksmith, your son was going to be a blacksmith, and his son would be a blacksmith. In that culture, it was a given. 
It was a presumption. It was in the air they breathed and the water they drank. It Not that no one would have ever thought, maybe I should do something else with my life. But in general, people would have just assumed, this is life. My dad's a blacksmith. I'm going to be a blacksmith. My son's going, I'm going to train my son to be a blacksmith. So this, this stuff was a given from them from the outside. Nothing that they had control over. Carl Truman's book goes way in depth into this. There's other things that are given a given as well, like your nationality, the family you're born in. There's so many things that outwardly determine who you are. But something happened in the modern era, a philosophy, a worldview, if you would, has we've changed from where it was that we what we were is what we were on the outside it was all these givens it was we were part of this family we did this for a living we were part of this nation uh, or this ethnicity it was what we were on the outside that determined who we were and the primary thing wasn't how we feel on the inside about ourselves or what our inner understanding of ourselves was. It was what was given to us from the outside. But that's changed in the modern world. So now the chief thing, the true self, who we really are, is who we are on the inside. And you'll, we've probably said this before, but you see these, these kind of things talked about and saying about in popular Disney movies. Kids' movies all the time hear, have songs about following your heart. This is a major worldview philosophical transli- transition that has happened in our world. And this is part of where transgender ideology comes from. That doesn't mean that's why people are struggling per se, Okay, because I don't want to diminish it and say, well, if we just had the right worldview, everything would straighten out. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that this is a philosophical worldview that gives a foundation for this to be acceptable. And Carl Truman goes real in depth into this, talks about the main characters and who it all, who who all is involved in this transition. And the book is a. Uh, the Rise and Fall of the Modern Self. Um, it's a great book, difficult to read, um, but interesting and very helpful on this issue. So what has happened is we've moved from where we see ourselves objectively through what is given to us, rather, and now we're looking at ourselves subjectively, how we understand ourselves internally. And it's not what i'm saying is this is such a such a change in focus that even even we are we do that too it's it's not we can't escape this <laughs> it's it's a battle we have as well so so this really lays the foundation for where we're at now uh, not o- not only with transgenderism but also uh, with gay rights as well, uh, that all plays into this. So, what we what we see 
is we're dealing with subjectivism versus objectivism. And our culture today <laughs> thrives on subjectivism. Now, there are some things that they're objective about, like the things in this creed. <laughs> These are objectively true, and you dare not argue with them, um, especially the ones to do with uh, LGBT ideas and, and beliefs. So what this worldview has created is an environment where people are going to be having conflict with who they are internally and how they understand themselves internally and the physical reality that's presented to the world, the things that are given to them. So this conflict, any other, any other time that a person would have a conflict in their mind with objective reality, we would call that a mental health problem. But we, we don't want to talk about, we don't want to call this a mental health issue. And ultimately, I think that's, that's what we're dealing with when we come to transgenderism, um, which is why it's troublesome that rather than giving the people um, the help they need, instead, we're encouraging people out of fear that they may harm themselves or worse, kill themselves. We're, we're encouraging them to, especially young, this is especially bad with young children, we're encouraging them to mutilate their bodies and use hormone therapies they may cause permanent lifelong damage um, and if or when they regret this they're it's irreversible um, <clears throat> we need a better course uh, than than where we're at as a culture what we're doing is dangerous especially when we're giving um, people pre-puberty puberty blockers and things like that Kids, when they're 18 years old, when I look at them, don't have a clue about anything, let alone somebody who's prepubescent uh, making these kinds of life decisions that they have no business making. I've talked for a long time, Matthew. So let's, I think, again, I think to go back to some, some of the stuff Jeremy's talked about, I think we have to make some de delineation of thought. So... There is a small percentage of people who legitimately suffer from a mental condition called gender dysphoria, which we talked about before. There's an even smaller group of people, and we'll talk about this more in a little bit, there's an even smaller percentage of people who would be termed as intersex, which means they were born with they were born with both sets of reproductive organs at birth, right. and a doctor had to make a determination at that time. I think and we're not, we're not even talking about this, right? <laughs> I think there's a, a large percentage of this conversation. This is more; it's a felt need. So, like as an example, there's a couple studies that have come out recently that said that a majority of individuals who felt they were transgender over time, especially prepubescent, over time, they would choose to reverse the course because it's a felt thing and then they fi they finally feel that they're known and understood and they have a grasp on the world and they turn back. And so I, there's a, I think there's a lot 
in this, and I think the the problem from a secular construct is you just have to accept it as true, and there's no ration, there's no rationale because ultimately what Jeremy has already said. You can't question anybody's thinking. Whatever I think has to be true. We remove the objectivity in truth and we make it subjective. Then we eliminate the ability to question anything. If you question this creed, especially at this point, you will be burned as a heretic. Correct. (laughs) And, And I think that's some of the philosophical underpinnings of what's actually going on. And the other piece to add, just so we have a full-rounded picture, is there are people who understand this to be wrong, and they approach it in the wrong manner, and so they give in to the caricatures I've created that anybody who challenges this is mean, vindictive, hateful, and all the other adjectives. Just wanting to oppress people. Right. And there's some legitimacy because they don't approach it with the care and concern that it deserves. Right. And and we're we're trying to speak frankly, but not belittle or right. bully or heap scorn on right. anyone who's struggling with these issues. Right. And the the last piece I'll add is, as we think through how we approach it, I think we have to understand that if we take the three camps that I just talked about, you have to approach each one of those camps differently, because I think. Gender dysphoria and intersex requires more care and concern than people who are just dealing with felt needs and who, for varying reasons, have determined that this is what their inner feeling has determined as opposed to their external givens, as Jeremy talked about before. Right. And I don't want to get too far down because I think the intersex issue is a diversion from what we're discussing not to get too far down there, but there is a physical reality right. there. Anyway, so real quickly, um, before we get to the biblical teaching, one of the things I'm arguing is that uh, we've transitioned from a culture or a world that understands who we are by outward things that are given to us to a world where we, under- we understand ourselves Ourselves are most located with our internal understanding of who we are. So this begs the question, then, how do you define what a thing is? And this this is really where it comes down to. How, how do you define what a woman is? Is a woman a thing with certain characteristics? And everything that has those certain characteristics we call a woman, or is a woman an idea that is objective that people, human be- some human beings participate in that idea, have some share in that idea, that objective idea. And we, our culture has rejected uh, what's called realism for this nominalism, and nominalism is the first alternative that whatever has these characteristics, we name a thing. But there's no such thing as the idea of a woman. There's no objective woman. Whereas in ancient philosophy and in Christianity, we believe that there is an objective of what a woman is. Now, 
that objective idea is in the mind of God who created mankind, male and female, uh, and we'll get that to that in a minute. We don't believe that just if you have certain characteristics that you ought to be put in that category of woman. It's ultimately God who defines what a woman is, and it's objective, and and our job is to conform to that. Where there's an internal understanding, an eternal conflict with that reality, our job is to come alongside and help people uh, wherever they're at um, to come to understand better. So, and, and I do want to say it's not, it's not some of the stereotypes, some of the problems that have led to these things have been exacerbated by conservatives who may or may not be Christian who have done things wrongly, sometimes out of ignorance, sometimes sadly out of malice. So we do have to realize that's an issue as well, and it may make sense why some people wouldn't want to listen to me and Matthew about this uh, because we're part of the group that have hurt them or caused problems in the past. We could have a whole episode on how we overcome that, but we're, we're not going to go down that path. We just need to acknowledge that it may be difficult for us to have, as Christians, may be difficult for us to have these conversations with people and we need to be sensitive when we're having the conversations that that might be the wall reason the walls up there's a lot to say in this episode so uh, we may go a little longer than usual is that all we need to say about the statement itself trans women or women i think it's a good overview now we can transition to okay so how do we from a biblical perspective, approach this this conversation. Right. So the first thing we have to acknowledge is that God is creator. And you see why these ideologies might have come about. Uh, if you don't acknowledge God as your creator, then it's easy to see why there wouldn't be an objective standard for what a woman is, an idea of what a woman is. And then we just have to define it by whatever characteristics we have. So we acknowledge God as a creator. And in Genesis 1.27, God says this about man. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The idea here is that mankind comes in two kinds, male and female. Now, we've already acknowledged that biologically, because of the fall, problems happen, and there are some people that outwardly, biologically, aren't easily, always easily identifiable. We under we understand that and recognize that um, reality. We don't. We're not saying these aren't human beings. Um, they have dignity and worth like everyone else, but the norm is that. Um, God created man in his own image, and that image is born in both a male and female bodies. Jesus affirms the same thing um, in Matthew chapter 19 in his discussion about divorce. And I say this because, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, the 
God of the Old Testament was a mean, nasty guy, and Jesus was about peace, love, and um, and all that peace, love, and kindness. So he'd never say anything mean. And this isn't mean, but just to so show, Jesus continues to affirm the same thing in Matthew nineteen four. <clears throat> he says, "Have you not read that he who created them?" From the beginning, made them male and female. So God, or Jesus here, is affirming the same thing: that God is Creator, created man, male and female. God is the one who created the idea, the nature of mankind. God's the one who created the nature of a what a male is. God's the one who created the nature of what a female is. He's He's the one who defines it, right? That doesn't mean that there's no cultural considerations when it comes to how we identify outwardly and and our characteristics and things like that. But whatever it means to be a woman, whatever it means to be a man, that has been defined by God, right? Right. We're not going to go any further than that and try to dig into what's cultural and what's not. Whatever it means to truly be a woman was defined by God, right? And it's, and we see that in our natures. We see that in our bodies. Because God is the creator. He created all that is. Human nature as created was good. And humans, the human nature, we have bodies and souls. Both the soul and the body are good. So one of the things that I see with transgenderism is that they're there's a war with their bodies. There's, that internal understanding is at war with the outward presentation. Christianity says that the body is good. Transgenderism, the ideology, seems to suggest that the body is evil, something that has to be overcome. And Christianity rejects that. The body is a good thing as God created it. Now, unfortunately... After Genesis 1 is Genesis chapter 3, where mankind fell. And because of our fall, biologically and spiritually, uh, mankind is broken. We're sinful. Our bodies are broken. Our souls are broken. And so ultimately, any conflict that we have through with our internal understanding and our outward understanding is a result of sin in general. It might not be you particularly who have sinned, but it's it's because we're part of a broken, fallen world, a broken, fallen system, and, and because we're part of that, we share in the brokenness and sinfulness as well, and that conflict is a result. Is that... Yep. So God is our creator, our bodies are good gifts from him. And then, and finally... We want to affirm that Christ is is Savior. Matthew and I don't have personal understanding of this issue, <laughs> so there's we're removed from this at at some level. But uh, we want to affirm that Christ is the Savior for everyone. Christ is the Savior for black people and white people. Christ is the Savior for men and women. Christ is the Savior for gay and lesbians and bisexuals. Christ is the Savior for transgender people as well. 
um, and, and cisgendered people. Christ is the Savior for everyone. The Bible teaches us that while other people may not understand the struggles and the trials that you're going through, your sa- the Savior does. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 18 says, For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Then Hebrews chapter 4, verses 14 through 16 says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one in who every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Whatever our struggles are, whatever our issues are because of this sin-broken world, what what we receive from the outside are our broken bodies, sin-filled world, and what we have on the inside, which is also broken with sin. Whatever those struggles are, the Savior understands those and is compassionate and has mercy for the best and worst of sinners. So God is not just the creator, but he's the Savior as well. Not only do Matthew and I not understand the struggles, the trials that someone who is transgender is dealing with. We don't have all the answers. Matthew especially, you know, he can, he'll read studies and read books about counseling because that's his, in his wheelhouse. But no matter how much he reads, we don't have all the answers. And many of them, even the answers we have, won't be easy. Mm-hmm. But we have a Savior who can give mercy and you can find grace from him in your time of need he's the answer anything about that before we close matthew no i just think i think we can allow that fact as christians to overwhelm us or maybe not overwhelm maybe underwhelm us is a better way of saying it it becomes common and we we think we have to find some radical out there, hard to explain answer to this complicated question. And yes, the question is complicated, but fundamentally, the answer is simple. The answer is what a transgender individual needs is the same thing as Jeremy said, is what all of us need. Same thing we're, I need. <laughs> we're all, we, we all are in, in a, a desperate search to find hope. That's what we need. We need hope. And the reality is, Hope isn't some some out there thing. Hope is a person, and his name is Jesus, and he's our Savior. And there, and he is the only place where we can find the everlasting, completely satisfying hope that is necessary. And in when we find that hope, it doesn't alleviate the struggles that we have, but it ultimately satiates the need because it it holds it down. Because then we can focus on the ultimate external and that is back to first peter 2 we are people who were not a people but now we are a people we were once 
we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. We belong to God, and so that ultimately, that is the fundamental identifying mark in us. And that, my opinion, is that's ultimately what a lot of people who want to hold on to being transgender, that's what they're looking for. They're looking for this, they know they need to belong, and they're so seeking to find belonging, and they can find that belonging that they need to meet their needs when they come to Jesus. And we, as Christians, have to do a good job of bringing that hope that is Jesus to them and not being mean, not being angry, not not looking at them as strange or different or weird, but ultimately... Or making it all political. Right. But ultimately see that their soul needs the same thing we need, which is hope, which can only be found in the Savior, Jesus Christ. Right. And as Christians dealing with this, we can't expect easy, simple platitudes to be effective. We shouldn't expect that. This should be true <laughs> regardless of the person's uh, issues that they're struggling with, right? Right. We can't just empty, offer empty platitudes. It's going to take compassionately, mercifully walking alongside people and encouraging them to follow Christ. It's not going to be easy. Right. Um, that doesn't mean we keep quiet about the, what the truth is, but we do it in love. Close with this comment from uh, from Rebecca McLaughlin's book that I think is really helpful. Um, she says, Whatever our beliefs, these young people's lives matter. Mocking or dismissing those struggling with their gender identity is never the right approach. But encouraging emotionally vulnerable young people or young girls to undergo medical treatments that will distort their still developing bodies and affect their still developing minds is also not an act of love. What she's encouraging, of course, is us to act in love. So, brothers and sisters, and and you're thinking about and you're trying to be a witness to those who struggle with this issue, we need to act in love. Uh, love for God and love for others should be the motivating factor in what we do. We thank you for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, a podcast ministry of Two Rivers Community Church. For more information about Two Rivers, you can find it on our website at www.tworiverscc.org. We look forward to your questions, your comments, and even that dreaded hate mail at ordinaryfellowship at gmail.com. Please follow us on Facebook at Ordinary Fellowship and like, subscribe, and rate this podcast on whatever service you listen to us on. But for now, we want to thank you once again for listening to this episode of Ordinary Fellowship, where you're striving to have spiritual conversations for practical Christian living. Mm